but we we live in in desperate times it it uh, it doesn't take anybody doesn't take a prophet to tell us what what may lay ahead we can see that uh, we see the the sin that's all around us if uh, if you dare to turn on the TV you're going to be bombarded with with filth you're going to be bombarded by by uh, things that you don't want to see you're going to see uh, I don't I don't even want to go into it because you know what I'm talking about you see it yourselves we see the the how so quickly uh, the world has changed from a from a world where at least uh, principles were were valued people people had principles and uh, and there were such a thing as values and we see that quickly disappear to where even today people really don't even know what values are and they certainly don't have an idea what a principle is and uh, and we've seen what was once uh, thought of as as a good thing as as good moral right things to do now we see uh, portrayed as as actually evil and in some cases even illegal behavior we we see uh, there's uh, the baker and what is it Loveland I think it is and and who who did not want to bake a cake for two homosexuals because he had Christian values and he didn't want to do that and uh, they could have gone to any bakery they wanted to but they went to him on purpose because they knew what he would do they knew he would deny them and then they could sue him and then they could they could continually harass him and go after him until his business is completely destroyed and he can no, can, cannot do business anywhere uh, without them following him and, and uh, pursuing him and, and, and suing him and doing all they can to, to stop him from doing that. That's the kind of thing that we see today. We see people being fired for having views that, that homosexuality is a sin. And, uh, and, and if you look around in churches today, you're going to see them filled with couples living together unmarried. You're going to see divorce as a common thing and, uh, and remarriage, and, and it's all no problem because that's the world's standard. That's, the world says that's okay. Um, but we see godly values completely disappear, and we know, we know that, that persecution surely cannot be far off. And uh, many times people will say that, uh, that uh, you know, those in the West, and they always say America, as if America is the only place, that's like it's not, um, but that, uh, that we don't know what persecution is. Well, it's true. We don't really have persecution here so much. The baker knows what it's like. He was persecuted. And there are some, some cases here and there where people are truly being persecuted. Um, but I'll tell you what, we know that uh, the world hates Christianity absolutely hates it with a passion and we're believers and uh, that means the world hates us too it hates us not because of who we are they don't care who we are they hate christ and uh and they hate his values they hate his teachings they hate everything about him and so we when we represent him as believers in christ as children of christ they very naturally hate us too and uh, and so we we see those things. That's that's obvious. And uh, and so where do we find our strength? How do we how do we behave in this day and age when uh, when godly values are hated and despised and even in some cases illegal? 
now, and, uh, and we, we know that soon, probably, I would guess, that, uh, that it would be against the law to speak against what the world says is good. And, uh, and so we know that that, that that kind of persecution is coming. How do we prepare for that? How do we live our lives uh, in a way that, that we live among all this and, and carry on among this? And, and there's really no better example than, than, than the early church because that's exactly what they did. And, uh, and so we'll, we can look at what happened to them, and, and if we, if we uh, start off in, in chapter 2 of Acts, uh, it was the day of Pentecost, and they were all told to, to wait, to wait for that day, and so they were all together, because that's what a body of believers do. do. They gather together, and they were together on that day. And, uh, and on that day, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and, and, and I won't dwell on that, but you know the story. The flames of tongues of fire came down on them, and, and, uh, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to, to speak in other tongues. Don't get me wrong, and, and I'm sure you know, they weren't babbling, as you see done today so commonly. You can go on YouTube and see examples of it all day long. There are many prosperity preachers who do that. And uh, they, they weren't babbling. They weren't falling on the floor and flopping around like a like a fish out of water. Nobody was waving a coat over them, and all everybody would fall down. None of that nonsense was going on. And by the way, that's de- demonic. That's absolutely demonic behavior. And uh, the demons do that. The pagans do that kind of thing. It it absolutely uh, models what they do. Uh, that is not what was going on in the early church. They all spoke in tongues, but not babbling tongues that nobody understood. They spoke in tongues that everybody understood. Because in that, in that, at that particular time in Jerusalem, there were people from all over the, the, the area, people who spoke in different languages. And, uh, and they were hearing the gospel preached to them in their own language. They could clearly hear it and understand it in their own language. And, and quite naturally, they said, what is this? I, I, I can hear that these are uneducated people. Clearly, these are, not, these are not people who can speak many languages all got together. No, these were uneducated people, and yet they're speaking in my language. And I can understand them clearly. And they're telling me the gospel. They're telling me what the Bible says. And uh, how is it that this is possible? And uh, so they heard the word preached on that day powerfully. It, w- it was an amazing example. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then, as always, because Satan always attacks the church, he attacks in many ways. And one of the ways that he attacks is he mocks the church, and he wants to make them look foolish and, and silly. So, of course, there were some who say, in, in, in verse 13 of chapter 2, it says, But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. You know what? What is this that's going on? Uh, the, the, these are these are foolish people. They're drunk. They they mocked them, and so then Peter got up and and Peter standing with the eleven. He's with the disciples there, and I'm sure many other people, not just the disciples, but many other people were there, and and, and uh, he lifted up his voice and addressed them, and he, and he said. Uh, I'll cover a little bit. He said, Men of Judah, Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you 
and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. You see what he's doing? He's not, he's not, uh, um, he's not, um, how do I say it? Um, what, uh, what he's telling them is that what, what you see happening before you now was prophesied. It's in God's word. Now, you're, these, are, these are Jews. They lived by God's word, at least they thought they did. They believed in God's word. Now, of course, they didn't have the New Testament, obviously, but they had, they had God's word with them. And what he's telling them is, why are you surprised? This is prophecy. This is what the prophet Joel said. And, and, and he quotes him, and he says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and, mag and magnificent day. He's covering a lot of territory here, but one of that is that is that he's going to pour out his spirit on his people, and and they're going to prophesy. And, and when we say prophesy, at the describe what we're talking about. We're not talking about I prophesy that Trump will be the next president. That's that, that's not what he's talking about. You, you call that prophecy if you want, but uh, but what they're talking about is they're preaching the word. They're telling people what the Bible says. What what the what the law says? What what Jesus or what the God has said through His prophets, and so that's what that's what they're doing. That's what the the men and women will be doing when the Holy Spirit came on them and they were speaking in tongues. They were telling people what the Bible says. They were giving them the truth. Really, they were giving them the gospel, and uh, and so then that's what what uh, Peter did. Peter stood up among the people, and he preached to them. He preached to them the gospel. And, uh, and what he preached to them was what, what the Old Testament prophesied what happened, that there would be a Christ who would come, and, uh, and that he came, and then his name is Jesus. And, uh, and, he, and he fulfilled all that God prophesied that he would do through his prophets. He did all those things. He was obedient to all those things, and... and uh, and then he, then he says that this is the same Jesus that you crucified. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And, uh, and what was their response when the, when the gospel was preached to them? And he said, Now when they heard it, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What a magnificent thing that he did. And then down in, in the... Verse 41, he says, Those who received this word were baptized, 
and were added that day about 3,000 souls. <laughs> what an amazing revival that was. 3,000 people saved on that day because they heard the gospel. They only heard it, but there were also many witnesses there. There, They knew what happened. They knew that the Christ was crucified. They saw all these things. They knew that, uh, that he did all the things prophesied uh, in, in ancient past that he would do. He, he raised the dead. He, he healed the, the lame. He, he caused the blind to see. He did all those things, and he went to the cross as a lamb uh, without defense, and, and he was accused of crimes he did not do, just as God's word said would happen, and he was crucified on a tree. And, uh, and so they saw those things. Many of them did. They, they didn't see them. They certainly heard from, from eyewitnesses of that. So they knew that. And now they hear the gospel, and now they hear how, how all these things were prophesied. In fact, that was the Christ, and they became believers. That day, 3,000 souls were added among them. That's an incredible thing. And so what did those 3,000 souls do then? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And when they did that, all came upon every soul. That's an amazing thing. See, that's what God's people do when they become believers. They... They, they join among other believers. They want to be among them. They want to see more of God's word. That wasn't enough for them. They want to hear all of God's word. They want to know it. They want to, they, they want to see it all and, and, and be strengthened by it. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles who were taught by Christ, of course, and, uh, and, and who wrote the rest of this book. They want to know it all. They want to see that. And they, and they had the, the incredible joy of hearing it from the apostles' mouths themselves, all that Jesus taught them. So they wanted to know those things. They wanted to, they wanted to fellowship of one another. And, you know, we, uh, uh, that's something that sadly has disappeared or is disappearing quickly uh, among, among those who at least claim to be believers. We look around. This, this, when I first came to this church back in, and Shelley and I came here back in late 1987. There was, uh, yeah, it was. 87. That's why I said 87. Said okay, <laughs> I meant 87. That if I didn't say that in uh, in late 87, we came here and uh, and there was this church was probably I don't know. 250 people somewhere around that. It was full. It was full. You go into the other, the fellowship area, and it was full of people, and uh, and they they dwindled away one after another after another, and and uh, until we have very few left. And uh, when I talk to to believers nowadays, one of the things that amazes me is their their lack of desire to uh, to be a part of a fellowship. They don't see the need. They got other things to do. They got family events to take care of. They they go to. They have they have work to do. They have uh, lawns to mow and houses to paint and and uh, vacations to take and, and a whole variety of things that they do rather than be a part of the fellowship of, of believers. They don't seem to have a desire for that, and they fall away one after another. And it grieves me to see that. Sometimes I wonder: Are you truly even saved? 
Why do you not care about these things? Why is it not important to you? Some of it, I think, is they just not matured in the faith enough to, to, uh, to understand how important church membership is, how important it is to be a part of a fellowship, to, to come and support one another. Part of it is, too, is, is life is easy in many ways for them, for a lot of younger people especially. And, uh, and, and they're, they're striving to do all the things they dreamed of, right? at the moment and they don't they they they're distracted by those things but these people weren't living in those kinds of days they're not being persecuted so much at this point but they're Jews mostly most of them were Jews and and when a Jew becomes a, a Christian uh, they're no longer a Jew you know we think of Jews as as a descendant of Abraham, and they are, of course, but uh, but they think of being a Jew as 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 following their laws and 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 the the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith, and and not Christianity. So when they become Christians in in among their families, they're no longer welcome. They they're now separated from their families, and so they see the need. Then it's clear that they need to be among their own family, really. And that's what we are as, as believers, as Christians. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we really are. I, I have family members who don't know the Lord. They, they, they may be a brother. Um, you might have a sister or you might even have a child that doesn't know the Lord. And you say, well, that's my family. Yeah. Um, but when you die, it's not going to be your family anymore. Your family are, are the, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, that's our real family. Those, that's, those are who we'll have eternity with. And, uh, and these people are seeing the reality of that. They understand that, so they need the fellowship of other believers, of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, and they, they broke bread together. They, they, they come together and they, and they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And I think it also meant that they ate together many times. And... And they prayed together. They come together to pray, and uh, and to seek God's uh, mercy on them. And and uh, and when they did this, they were they were filled with awe of Christianity. And there's an awe of Christianity. And uh, and they were filled with that. Awe came upon every soul. That was the early church in those days. And and. Uh, and so uh, we move on, and and uh, and what uh, what many of the people saw were were signs. Were they saw the signs? It's of course the the speaking in tongues. That was a miraculous sign. How is it that they all are that they're speaking in different tongues and the tongues that we know and understand? How can they speak to us that way? But there are more than that. There are also healings going on, and uh, the the apostles were were healing people. And, uh, and that's also prophesied. What it, Jesus said that, you know, when, when John the Baptist uh, was, was thrown in prison, he began to maybe, I think he was wondering, did I, did I proclaim the right Christ? Is it, did I do right? Maybe sitting in that jail cell, maybe he began to have some doubts. And so he sent his disciples out to go talk to Christ and see him. And what did Jesus say? The, the lame are being healed. The, the dumb are speaking. Uh, the 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 dead are being raised to new life. Um, he didn't have to tell them. Yes, I'm. The, go tell them that I'm the, I'm the one. I'm the Jesus. No, 
these are the signs. Go tell them these things are happening. Uh, these things that were prophesied. And that's all that John needed. And, and he was once again reassured that in fact uh, he had done right. And he had fulfilled his mission. And so now we see this. That, uh, that again the, the lame are being healed. And so we see in, in chapter 3. There's a lame beggar. He'd been there for 40 years begging he couldn't do anything and and everybody was used to seeing him and and so peter comes along and he heals him and uh, the man just didn't get up and walk away and go home he says in in the uh see in in verse um, seven of chapter three and he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now that's a sign. That's a, that's a sign that's real. And, uh, and that the Jews can see and know very well what's prophesied would happen. They saw that. And, and so when they, and they see that, they begin praising God. And many others were saved as a result of that. And, uh, and so then what does Peter do again? He preaches the word to them. Once again, he goes through God's word and he preaches the gospel to them. And he, and he said that uh, in verse 15, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by the faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man, this perfect health in the presence of you all. Jesus did that. And, uh, and they gave him the glory. And, uh, and so he preached to, the, to them again. And uh, by now, he's, the, the early church has, has got the attention of, uh, of the Jewish leaders. And, uh, and they're not happy because now thousands of people are, are coming to Christ. Thousands of people are joining this this upstart church, and uh, and the the Romans are not upset about it because the the Jewish religion uh, was accepted by the Romans. They they already said it's okay. You guys can you guys can practice your religion. You can practice your law. We'll allow you to do that, as long as it doesn't conflict with our law. You can you can practice your law, and they viewed Christianity as just a branch of Judaism. That's that's what they looked at it. As. And so the, the early church had, had no uh, persecution from the Romans, but now it's got the attention of the Jewish leaders, and they're upset. And, uh, um, and so in, in chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men uh, came to about 5,000. So now we have a church of 5,000 people who, who are now believers. And on the next day, the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. 
And, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and, he, and again, what did he do? He preached to them. He preached to them the truth. And he said this Jesus, in, in, chapter, in verse 11 of, of chapter 4, he said this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, he, and, and they preach to them, again, the gospel. And they hear that, and, and they're angered by that. And, uh, and so they're warned, sternly warned, of the consequences of continuing this, this preaching of yours. You are to stop this. You are not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. You're not to do these things in the name of Jesus anymore. And they're warned and they go and they're, and they're set free then. Again. So now we come to, uh, to, verse four, or to chapter 4 and verse 23. What did the early church do? What did the early church do when, when now they're, they're being threatened? They're suffering persecution now. They've been arrested. They've been warned. And uh, to stop doing this, what do you do? When these things happen to you, and and uh, we see no better example than what we see in chapter four, verse twenty-three uh, of Acts. It says, "And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them." And went to their friends. What do you? What does that mean? That well, they they went to their 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 brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are their friends. They went to those who the fellow believers with them, those who are preaching the truth, those who, who they gather together with regularly, those who, who are fellow believers like them, they went to them um, and, and gathered together. That's the church again. They're gathering together because when time of trouble, that's what you do. You gather together as a body, believers together. And, uh, and they told them what happened. And I think that, that uh, their friends those they went to were probably at the time praying for them at the time. They've been arrested. And they know what uh, what the Jewish leaders are capable of. They witnessed that firsthand with what they did with Christ. And uh, and so they, they, they were probably in fear. They were probably praying for them. And now the disciples go and they tell their friends, this is what happened. This is what happened to us. They have warned us. They have threatened us. And I'm sure, it doesn't say exactly what they threatened, but I'm sure what they threatened was a threat of death um, if they continue in their preaching, if they can continue doing what they're doing. So what happened? So it says in verse 24, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They lifted their voices together to God. They prayed. They all came together and prayed. And, uh, you know, I doubt they were all praying at the same time, but probably somebody led them, and they all prayed together. And that's what we do when we come together. When, when one is praying, uh, the others are bowing their heads, and what are they doing? They're praying, too. They're praying silently, but they're praying with that person, too. That's what we do when we come together as a, as a body of believers to pray. We're all praying, and you know God hears those words, whether, whether they're spoken out loud or whether they're spoken in your own mind. God hears those words very clearly. He knows exactly what you're praying. And even when you cannot really describe it, even when you cannot really come out and say exactly what, 
what's on your heart. God knows what's on your heart, and, 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 and it's effectual for that. He, he hears you, and he knows, and the Spirit intercedes, and, and, uh, and, and so you don't even have to describe it well. God knows, and he hears your prayers. Whether you're praying, praying silently or whether you're praying out loud, makes no difference. He hears that, and he knows your words. And, uh, and so they came together, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and here's what's so fascinating, what are they praying? What, what are they, they going to ask for? He says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by himself, by his own power, no, by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to quote uh, scripture there. Sovereign Lord, what a joy. What a source of incredible strength it is to say, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, you can do whatever you want to do. You are sovereign. You can do it all. And they say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You can not only do anything you want to do because you're sovereign. You made it all. You made everything with, with, with a spoken word. You spoke it all into existence. You did that. This is the God that they're praying to. Isn't that amazing? I, I do not understand how, uh, how Christians cannot believe that God is sovereign, that they cannot believe that he's all-powerful, that he accomplishes all his will, everything he, that he desires, he accomplishes. And he's designed it all for our good, that he does everything for our good in his own glorious and, and incredibly wise way God does us. I don't know how people cannot look at that and take great joy in that and say and gain great strength in that and knowing that God is sovereign and he does all things right and good and we are his children what an amazing thing that's what their that's what their prayer is that's what their proclamation is is, is that he is a sovereign lord he made everything who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit see they recognize that that uh Ancient men, the the uh, David and and the, the the prophets and all the 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 men of God who who God used in, in miraculous ways, they recognize they didn't do these things in their own strength. They didn't do these things because they were mighty and powerful. In fact, they were weak. They they were they were weak men, flawed in many ways, many problems, and yet uh, and yet they say powerful things, glorious things, eternal things, not in their own strength, but by the Holy Spirit they say these things. That's how they did that. And so then they quote the second psalm what, that, we, that they read a short time ago. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why did they do those things? prophecy. They knew that, that what David said in the ancient times was coming past now. It was happening now before their very eyes. They're seeing, they're seeing the words of David fulfilled. The nations rage and the rulers come together. Why did they rage against him, against God's anointed? 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, whom you anointed. You see what they're, they're saying there? They're not complaining that, oh Lord, we've got terrible rulers. Oh Lord, we've got corrupt people in, in high offices. What do we do? You need to clean them out. You need to get good people there. They're saying, no, you put them there. You anointed them for this purpose. You set them in office. You did this. This is the handiwork of a sovereign Lord who put them there. They crucified Christ. They are now threatening and and, uh, uh, tormenting God's people. But yet you did this, Lord. You put them there. See what see what they're saying? This is they're acknowledging that that this is God's handiwork. He's doing this thing. And and they're experiencing it. They're not complaining about it. This is not a complaint. This is an acknowledgement of, of a phenomenal truth. A truth that sadly is forgotten so much these days that that the troubles and then the difficulties that we're seeing, the, the corrupt leadership that we see around us now, and we could talk all day long about conspiracies and, and, and about the, the things that people are doing and, and the corruption in high office and, the, and, and how China is, is bought off uh, leaders and, and uh, all the th- horrible things that are going, off and, that are going on today. And yes, it's bad. It's terrible. Pontius Pilate and Herod, these were horrible people, murderers. They're terrible people. But who put them there? God did. God did this. It's his design. It's the sovereign Lord who who made everything, who designed everything with incredible wisdom. He put them there. And they're acknowledging that. And uh, so they said, for truly... In this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. They fully acknowledge that. Oh, how we need to understand that. We, we're living in desperate age for sure. We're living in... In, in a time of great sin and disparity, and, and, uh, and we see that the horrible things happening all around us, the, the uh, despising of godly values, and, and we see all this, and you know who designed it all? The very one that we have hope in, the very one that we praise, the very one who, who we long to be with. He designed it all that way and made it happen. And it's not just the, the great and mighty and, and big things, it's even the little things. He's done it that way. That's why I say, you know, when, uh, when, you're, when you want to go on a vacation and, and, uh, and you've got things to do and a long ways to drive and, and suddenly you see the water line bubbling up and, uh, and you think, oh, you know, this is, has to be fixed and it's going to be a big, nasty, dirty job. And, uh, and then you realize, he, he designed it all. He made it happen. He knows what he's doing. And he, he's doing it all for his good purposes. I, I don't know what those purposes are. You know, it'll, it'll make me stronger. It'll make me more faithful. It, who knows? But, uh, but I know that the one who designed it all and created all things, he made it happen for his good purpose. And for mine. And for my good. 
he did all those things. So I can just I can just hope in him and trust in him that he will take care of things. And that's exactly what they're saying here. Their hope is in him, and uh, and they acknowledge that he did it all. And so uh, now we get to what they're actually what their what their petition is because in prayer there's a petition there's something that you're going to ask for and that's good that's what we should do we should go to god and ask him for things he said you receive not because you ask not ask for these things acknowledge his his sovereignty and his power and his goodness and then ask him for things what it's it's fascinating to me though to to see what uh, what they didn't ask for they they didn't ask for that the, that these wicked leaders be taken out of office and good people be put in office they didn't ask for that uh, that would have been nice that would have made things easier for them much easier but they didn't ask for that because they knew that was God's design and and uh, that was not His will they knew that but what they and they and they didn't ask for now what should we do. Should, should we move? Because, you know, California's bad, so let's move somewhere else. Or Colorado's going bad, let's move somewhere else. Uh, should we do that? That's not what they were asking for. They already knew what they needed to do. They were going to preach. That's what they had to do. That's what, they knew that. They were told that by Jesus already. And, uh, you know, what did, what did Jesus say to, to Peter, you know, when, when he when they decided to go fishing instead, and Jesus met them on the beach. And, and three times Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, guide my sheep. That's what he told them to do. So there was no question in the disciples' mind what they needed to do. They knew exactly what they needed to do. They needed to preach. They have to preach the gospel. That's the only thing they could do, and that's what they were going to do. There was no question about that. But so their petition is in, now, Lord, look upon their threats. See what they're threatening us to do. We're afraid. They were afraid. Uh, there's no question about that either. This is scary business. They knew what jail cells are like, and they're not like they are here now. <laughs> uh, they're nothing like that. They were brutal, harsh, horrible places to be. I cannot imagine being in jail cell and yet singing songs. Uh, like they did later on. I, I cannot imagine doing that. But, uh, so they, they knew these things, and they were afraid. No question about that. But they said, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's what they were asking for. Please, let us continue and be bold about it. To not be, to not be skittish or afraid or cower, but make us bold. Let's preach the gospel and do it boldly so that people are here, will hear and know that we're preaching the truth and, and uh, will hear us and believe. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. So let us do this while these, these things are happening, while we're healing people. And uh, and while and while we're speaking in tongues, speaking the the gospel, the, the the truth of God's word to to all men, let us do this boldly, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. They did it. God gave them that strength. How did he do it? Well, it says here they were filled with the Spirit. And that's something that's, that's, uh, that's been uh, you know, badly distorted these days, being filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, you know, when, uh, when I was a young man and growing up, and when, and as, as, as a young man, the Pentecostal movement was a pretty big thing, and, and charismatic, charismatics they called them, and, and, uh, and they talked often about being filled with the Spirit. You know, have you been filled with the Spirit, they would say. It's just, that's something different. That's something that's, that's beyond Christianity, but, but maybe a step up. Or, uh, you know, beyond just normal Christianity, but a higher step, being filled with the Spirit. And, and their description of being filled with the Spirit was, was uh, always involved uh, a very emotional experience. Always. A very emotional experience. I'm an emotional person, you can see. I, I, can't, I can't preach his word without getting emotional about it. Um, and, and so there is emotion uh, in, in the truth. There's there very definitely emotion in God's word. There are many times, and I'm, I'm sure this has happened with you, just as it happens with me. You'll be reading the scripture, you'll be reading something, and something will just jump out and grab you, and you'll you'll understand it like you never have before, and and tears come to your eyes because you see the greatness of, of God's truth. That's an emotional experience, no question about that. It's a part of Christianity. Um, I certainly don't deny it. I couldn't possibly deny it because even now I got to wipe my eyes all the time and my nose because I'm emotional about it. But uh, um, so there is that, but that's not what being filled with the Spirit is all about. It's not an emotional experience. It's not something that you experience sometime when, you know, when the, when the music is played repetitively and, and they do all the things that, that you know they do to, to, to get your emotions going. And, and uh, that's not what being filled with the Spirit is about. We have to first understand what that is. And, and so if you look at... Uh, uh, it, well, we just read it a little bit ago, Acts 4.31. Um, well, that's, the, that's the, the scripture that I read, that they were all filled with the Spirit. Let's turn to, uh, uh, there's so many examples, it's, it's hard to, to know where to begin, really. Um, but let, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You have the Spirit. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit, it's because you don't have salvation. If you have salvation, you have the Spirit. And, and most people will acknowledge that. Even the charismatics will acknowledge that. Well, yeah, you have the Spirit, but you don't have a filling of the Holy Spirit. You don't have it full yet. And that's the way we look at, at uh, um, things. You know, we, we, that, that word, are you filled? Well, we think of a glass that's, that's only half full. Yeah, I've got some, but I don't have the full amount yet. If you get the full amount, then you'll start doing things, that, according to charismatics, that... Uh, 
that they would say are being filled with the spirits. Then you start speaking in tongues, which to them these days means babbling incoherently and and rolling around the floor and acting like you are drunk and acting foolish, acting like you're demonically, uh, um, like you're possessed uh, with demons. That's that's what they do. That's what they would say is being filled by the Spirit. That's not being filled by the Spirit. When you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, you have all the Spirit. It's all there. It's not just a little bit of the Spirit. You have all of the Spirit. He's in you when you're saved. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, or, uh, 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Uh, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. We're all in the Spirit, fully. We're all in one body, fully. Not partially, not a little bit, some more than others. We're all in that. Um, in uh, John chapter 7, John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not been given because of Jesus had was not yet glorified. In other words, uh, they were going to get the Spirit, all of them, not a little bit, some more than others. No, they were all going to get the Spirit, all that there is in the Spirit in Him. Um, Ephesians 5, um, verse 8. For at one time you were you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of, of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in, in unfruitful works or of darkness, but instead expose them. And, uh, and really what I, what I intended to show here is that what's, what is the... What do they mean by they were filled by the Spirit? Being filled by the Spirit is doing the works of God. It's doing what he has commanded to do. It's, it's being obedient to this word here. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. That's what they were referring to. When they were filled by the Spirit, what did they do? Well, they went out and they did something. They, they preached the truth, even though they were very much afraid to do that. They went out and they spoke the truth, even though they knew it might likely lead to their death. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. It means to live 
by this word. It means to become more and more like him. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the the word uh, the, the word used here. I won't try and pronounce the Greek word. I'll probably just mispronounce it anyways. But uh, but what it means is it it really the the um, it, it means a pressure. You know, a pressure pushes something some direction or another. Water pressures pushes the water out. It's it's it could mean a permeation, uh, something that that's so. Uh, soaked into us that that uh, that you know the, the, in, in food the, the flavor is there of it um, but it's its primary meaning is, is domination in other words it, it's uh, being filled means it dominates us it it controls us and uh, in in a total control sort of way so that's what it means to be filled by the spirit does it mean that you get more of the spirit than somebody else has does it mean that that you're going to do some some uh, unusual or weird thing necessarily it means that you're controlled by the spirit of god you're a being obedient to it that's what you're doing and so can we be filled with the spirit today absolutely obey his word Obey what he tells us to do, and, and you're demonstrating what it is to be filled by the Spirit. Do those things that we're told to do. And so uh, they did those things, and they were filled by the Spirit. Now, you know, bear in mind, they were living in a day when uh, that was prophesied by, by the prophet Joel that, uh, that there would be these things happening. There, it was, it was prophesied not only by Joel but many other prophets that there would be these things happening, healings, and and uh, and all these things were happening to prove that uh, that Jesus was the Christ, and that they were they were being obedient to Christ. So these things were happening then, and they and they obeyed Christ. They're filled by the Spirit. They're being fully obedient to Him, and doing what that what they were instructed to do, and. Uh, then so so it says in verse thirty two now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own or uh, but they had everything in common and and so we see this passage where it, it seems as if they have sort of a commune going well they they sort of do um, they do that because they needed one another desperately then they needed help. There were there were believers who who turned to Christianity or turned to Christ who are now no longer had families, and and depended on one another for their help and need, and so they that's what they did. They helped one another. Satan always attacks the church, he always does, and this church is a, now a fast growing church. And so how did he attack them? Well, uh, you know he uh, he first sent those to mock them. To mock the church and said, "Oh, they're drunk." No, listen to them; they're just drunk with me. Why? Uh, they're nothing. They're fools. And uh, of course, that was a that was a, a false attack, a, an accusation that was untrue. And uh, and then he, uh, we know that um, uh, there's persecution. Well, now they're seeing that uh, they're being threatened with their lives if they continue preaching. And uh, and then there's the perverting of the word. We'll see that later on in Scripture. How how the the word was perverted uh, uh, in in various ways. We see that today, uh, over and over again. How how the word is, is deeply perverted. And, and in fact, I, I was thinking about it last night, 
And uh, you know that it's so often said by by people trying to witness to others. Or, you know, churches will have that Jesus loves you, and He has a wonderful plan for your life. And uh, and and I think about that. And say, what a what a a terrible way to present Christ, because you don't see that in the Bible. You see that Jesus loves you. You see that in the Bible. But has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, yeah, sort He does, but not like they're saying. It's a plan of, of suffering. Jesus said, you're going to suffer tribulation. Get used to it. This is going to, it's going to happen to you. You're going to suffer persecution. You're going to suffer tribulation. The disciples remember his teaching. They knew what he said. And they were prepared for that. So when we tell people that uh, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, everything's going to be rosy, isn't that lovely? That's a slap in the face to the to the huge number of believers who suffered for Christ. Those who died in prisons, those who were burned at stake, those who were, were fed to wild animals, those who suffered the loss of their jobs and their families, and uh, the whole variety of ways that they suffer, and they still suffer today. There are many in prisons. There are many who, who suffer the loss of their livelihoods, of, of, uh, of uh, their families and, and their countries, and it goes on, it continues on today. That's a slap in the face to all those suffering saints who, uh, who endured these things for the cause of Christ in faith. That's a terrible way to present the gospel. But, but so false teachings come in and, and disrupt. And then there's false, uh, there are disruptors within the church who come. And we see that, in, and I'll, I'll, I'll move along quickly here. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, so the church is helping one another. And there's a certain saint um, who was, they called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas was a man who encouraged people. And Barnabas sold property and he gave that, that money to the church to help the suffering saints and, and to, to meet their needs. And so Ananias and Sapphira come along and they see the, the attention that, that Barnabas is getting and they want that. They want they want the accolade, those accolades that he was getting. Barnabas didn't do it for that, um, but they want they want accolades for that. And so they come along and they sell their property. And of course they lie and they say that we're giving it all to the church. Well, they didn't give it all, and uh, and so we see that uh, you know and, and you know the story. Um, uh, Ananias comes in, and, and Peter asks him, did you, did you give all the money? And he said, yes, I did that, and what did he do? He dropped dead immediately. And the young men came and carried him out and buried him. <laughs> very, very very strange. And and, uh, and then along comes Sapphira three hours later, and, and he asks her the same thing. And she said, yeah, that's what happened. That's what we did. And she drops dead immediately, and they go bury her with her husband. Um, what were they doing? Well, Peter says that, or Luke says that really uh, Ananus and uh, uh, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? See what he's saying here. You have not, he says further down, you have not lied to man but to God. What he's saying here is is, uh, the opposite of being filled by the Spirit is not doing the things of the Spirit. Uh, You lied. They could have said, well, we sold it and then we're going to give half of it to the church. Peter said, you could have done that. That would have been fine. There's no requirement you give it all. 
uh, you could have given a little bit if you wanted to. They'd have taken that gratefully. It would not have been a lie, but they did not do that. They lied, which is the opposite of being filled by the Spirit. So they lied to the Holy Spirit then. They, just, they, they misrepresented the Holy Spirit in that way. And so they tested his Spirit. And then, the, um, so to move along here, um, we'll, we'll go on and... and uh, uh, so they, the church, early church, continued on boldly proclaiming Christ, and uh, and then along comes Stephen, a man filled with the Spirit, a man devoted to the preaching of the Word, and and uh, and he he begins to preach, and he attracts the attention of uh, of the the leaders of the of the synagogues, and they come to him and they arrest him. And uh, and what does he do to them? The same thing the others did to them in chapter 7. He preaches to them. He tells them the truth. From the very beginning, he starts with Abraham. And he goes through the, through the scriptures describing all that God has done, all God's marvelous plan. And he tells them that. And of course, then he tells them about the Christ and how they crucified the Christ. And, uh, and this enrages them. Uh, and that's what happens when you preach the truth of Christ. It enrages people very often. They don't want to hear that truth. They want to hear that Jesus loves them. And that's a wonderful thing for them. And uh, so go on with your life. Live your life. Be happy. Do the things you want to do. And uh, and when you die, you'll go to heaven where Jesus will accept you with open arms and he has a lovely place for you after you're dead. That's not the truth. And he told them the truth and they did not enraged them. And, uh, and so uh, they took him. And, uh, but it says here in, in the verse 55 of, of uh, chapter 7, uh, But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's an amazing vision that he saw, but you understand that we see that vision too? It's described for us here. In God's Word, we see that vision too. That's, what, that's what's going on. He's standing at the right hand of God and, uh, and waiting. And, Jesus, and, and Stephen saw that. He knew he was soon to be at that throne with him. He knew he was soon to see Jesus. And, uh, and so... They stoned him, and, and amazingly, very much like Christ, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I've talked about that before, he fell asleep. What a, what a wonderful way of saying he just passed from this life to a greater one. He went to that great throne that he saw before he died. A throne that we can look at now through eyes of faith, we can see that too. And that's what we're to look at. And, and, uh, and two things real quickly here, and I'll be very quick. Uh, Stephen cried out, hold, Lord, hold, uh, uh, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And, uh, and, and we know that, that who was there among them consenting to this, to this uh, murder of Stephen? Well, it was, it was uh, who would later be the Apostle Paul. He, he was there. And uh, you know what? The Lord didn't hold it against him. The Lord forgave him. The Lord, Lord paid for that penalty and saved that man. And that's what Stephen cried out for, the salvation of them. And then uh, we see, again, I spoke about this, 
Stephen's vision is of the Lord standing at the right hand of God. What does that mean to us? Well, it's clear from the um, from Scripture because remember that's what that's what the the Jews understood with Scripture. The, they knew the Scripture, and so when G, when when Stephen said, "Behold, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of God," I I believe that their their uh, memory had to go back to the prophet Isaiah in uh, chapter 3, verse 13, where he says, The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord will enter the, into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. I think that's what they saw. I think that's what enraged them so much. What Peter's vision was the Lord standing to take judgment against his people. Judgment day is coming. Again, just like just like uh, Noah preached to the people, uh, Judgment Day is coming. And they can mock and, and they can laugh and they can ignore it, but Judgment Day is coming. And uh, one, day, one day God will appear before them and every knee shall bow. And uh, some, some of us, will, will, his children will do it in, in great joy, unspeakable joy, and then there are some who, many, who will do it in unspeakable fear and terror. Uh, because he's coming to judge. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth, Father, that we can believe it. That, Father, the, the, the great visions that we're seeing by, uh, by the saints before us, we can see now in your word. Father, it's all there for us. Father, grant us the faith to believe. Grant us the faith to, to trust and hope in you. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.